This is Hella Black, episode 46, brought to you by two of the realest niggas breathing. Yes, Lord. And on this episode, we got a very, very special guest for y'all to round out the month of June. Uh, shout out Deshaun Harrison on this. They drop a ton of fucking knowledge, a ton of fucking game. Me and Blake just soaking it up. And we hope y'all do the same. Tap in. Episode 46. Hey, Shy, where the heat at? Hella Black, episode 46, we in this motherfucker, y'all know what's going on, kicking that real shit, that RNS, that real nigga shit, um, I wanna say shout out to all the black people out there, fuck all the ops, all the cops, all the pigs, and anyone else that's not fucking with this black liberation shit, um, yeah, we here, live and direct, hella black, from the field to the booth, nigga, for real, really giving you the, the truth, nigga, <laughs> Well, I sound From like the, the hotel to the booth, <laughs> giving give you the, you the truth, truth good brother. <laughs> when I just did that, you ever? I know you've seen those videos of like the niggas who be having the pharaoh hats on. Yeah, be like I for sure in the kitchen. If you wasn't sitting right next to me, and I just on. heard that, and I wasn't listening to Hell of Black Eyed Black. From the field yeah. to the booth, nigga, giving y'all the truth, nigga. Nah, we here though. Live in this motherfucker. It's been a it's been a great month for Hell of Black though. Content wise, for sure. We really been out here. Recording in the field. We just had people's breakfast Oakland this morning. That's why we were saying we was in the field. You feel me? Serving the good people. You feel me? Of of Oakland, providing hygiene packs, clothes, food. You know, Chef Master B was on the grill. You feel me? Cooking them the <laughs> beef hot dogs. No pork on the fork. We gave you know out the saying? tents. Shout out to all the folks that donated to the tent drive. Um, whether you gave us money or actually donated the tent, um, I think we had twenty five or twenty six tents, or something like that. We handed them all out. Um, yeah, and like, I think it's I don't know. It felt I don't want to say like it felt good to give, but I, I looked at how impactful that was. Like the, for the folks that did contribute, right? Like understand that you played a role in giving somebody shelter. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm super grateful for that, and understanding that that's only 25 people. Yeah, seeing all that really just made me realize how privileged we are to even be able to record this podcast right now, to be in the field. Serving, working with the people, and just seeing, you know, like tents. Tents are really needed, and that's our first time ever giving out tents. Yeah. And that was like, you know, that was really big to people. It's like, oh, I need a tent. Oh, I need a tent, you know? It's shelter. Period, point blank. It's shelter. Um, so, yeah, and we, we, we're, we still we need a lot more tents. So, shit, if you got some tents that you're not using, if you want to send some money our way, um, I'm trying. I don't really. I don't know. What I'm DM Hella Black Pod. Yeah, just DM Hella Black Pod or People's Breakfast Oakland on Twitter, and we are gonna figure this shit out. Um, but yeah, episode forty six. I'm glad that we get to come in here and provide this. I think much needed content. We got a special guest today. Super excited about that. We've been having so many guests on. Fire guests. We said you know for Pride Month <laughs> we was gonna, as we always try to do, we was gonna you know pass that mic and use this platform, our platform. To uplift queer voices So fuck it We here It's our third, third episode of, uh, of Pride Month um, So yeah I'm, I'm super glad We finally got this person on There's someone that I've only engaged with Maybe over, over like The last four months We gonna talk about that But Since I've been following them I've learned a lot from them So I know And I know I'm not alone in that Right Like 
me and Deshaun have actually met. Yeah. Vibe in the flesh. <laughs> Real that's, shit. That's, <laughs> that's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a full circle moment. And now we got them on the pod. What's that? Go ahead. I was just saying, what's up? Oh, we here. Just making sure you heard this. You know, <laughs> niggas don't know we had some technical difficulties earlier, so for some reason Deshaun couldn't hear me when I was talking. Um, trying to make sure that didn't happen again, but can you hear me now? I can hear you loud and clear. Boom, we rocking. Y'all, That's y'all a Metro commercial right there. <laughs> can you hear me now? There's that Verizon. Can you hear me now? Good. That's how we felt going into this episode. Well, it's been, it's been a, a couple tries, but we we here. We out here. Nigga, we were supposed to start recording at 4.30 or 4 o'clock. Was it 4 o'clock? Yeah. 4 o'clock, yes. It's definitely 4 o'clock. 4.58. Oh, we were sick. Hella black time, you feel me? Rocking. But uh, we still like here. That. Fire content. You know, so for those of you who don't know Deshaun, you should get to know him. And you're about to get to know, know them right now. Uh, Deshaun's an organizer, writer, activist. You can follow their work at DeshaunHarrison.com. So you want to introduce yourself too? Because <laughs> I like, out. yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I am Deshaun Harrison, um, organizer here in Atlanta, Georgia, um, a writer. I went to school at Morehouse. Now I'm just out here in the streets like, like we do. Um, yeah, I mean, I ain't too special. I'm kind of cool. <laughs> this is a chance for you to definitely gas yourself. I know, like, right. I feel like a lot of our guests are very humble people, but do so much great work. And we want the people to know all the great work you're doing. So, yeah, for sure, okay gas yourself, yourself, you know, because you'd be rocking. I mean, I'll be moving a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've been organizing here in Atlanta for the last five years um, and been, have been able to travel the world really like teaching on different stuff that we organize around, um, primarily around fat phobia and anti-fatness. So that's been really exciting. Uh, I've been doing a lot of writing for the last two, three years, um, two years. So yeah, I've been like pushing a lot of, pushing a lot of work and I'm excited to be on here. Like I was listening to y'all from day one. So now I'm on here. It feel, it feel like a, a big moment. <laughs> Damn, that makes me feel cool. Yeah, <laughs> I guess like, I'm, I'm humble for real. Yeah, that, that's that's real humbling. Yeah, I I think um that's something I enjoy most about Hella Black is just being able to like build these spaces with so many dope people um from across the country. You know, like yep. we've had we've had guests that aren't all like you know Bay Area centered. Um, so it's just super dope for for us to be able to talk for at least at least for me right to be able to talk to people that I, I've been following on Twitter and whatnot or like reading their work etc. Um, so to you know hear you say you've been supporting us to day one since day one I'm super juiced and super appreciative. Nah yeah I love y'all y'all funny <laughs> and y'all <laughs> and y'all obviously are doing like really amazing work. Um, when I met Blake back in 2017, I think. Damn, that was 2017. 2017 or like 2016, sometime around there. Sometime around there. I don't know. Like organizing, you just kind of get lost in the years. Sometimes, like yeah, no, it, was, it was a few year, few years ago, you know. Yeah, it's been a few years, but like that was like a oh, we definitely family. Like we met, we chilling, we talking, <laughs> we definitely fam. So I've been excited to like support y'all's work um, and see all the great shit y'all doing. So yeah, man, appreciate that, fam. Um, so we we gonna dive in as you 
as you know, since you're an avid listener. Right, you know, we don't even have to explain it. Like, yeah, you've been right. rocking with us. You like you already know what time it is. You know, I, know what's, at, I already know what's up. It's that Black Joy shit, you yes, feel me? Yes, Lord. <laughs> so you, you can kick us off. What's, um, what's some, some recent Black Joy you, you've experienced? Uh, let's see. Um, so yesterday I was, like, chilling with some friends. Um, actually, the last two days, we've just been, like, chilling with some friends. I do this... Um, YouTube series type thing with um, a couple friends. Uh, and so we were recording and just talking about like random ass black queer shit. Um, and then afterwards it was a bunch of new, mu- new music dropping. So we all sat around listening to all the new music, um, talking shit about the new music <laughs> and talking shit at each other about what each other likes and don't like. Um, so that was cool. A lot of, a lot of fun, just like being able to sit around and chill with my friends and um, engage stuff that I actually enjoy. So that's been like, I think a big black joy moment for me. That's what's up, black joy hell important. No, it is, liberating. 100%. What about you, D? Um, Shit, did we do something last weekend? What did we do last weekend? I thought we did something. What happened last weekend? Did we do the, when was the live pod? Fuck. That was like two weeks ago. <laughs> As you can tell, like our life has been in shambles. <laughs> uh, we our time at this concept of time is has been real hard the past couple weeks. <laughs> oh, I know what I did recently. Um last Friday we went to dinner for my sister's fifteenth birthday party. That was that was super fire. Um my little sister just turned fifteen. This is my, my youngest sister. Um so just being able to 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 spend that time with her. Um, she recently started like her own little lip gloss line and shit. So I, like for her birthday, I, um, I, I got her like her domain and her website, her little Shopify shit set up. Got her some business cards. Um, so yeah, it's just it's super dope to be able to fucking invest in my little sister's dreams um, and to see her like coming into her own because she's super like reserved and like like a lot like myself. Um, she's super reserved and laid back, and you know just. You know, see, I was at the hospital when she was born. I remember I was like twelve years old or some shit. So yeah, just spending time with her, seeing her grow into her own, find her own passions, her own voice, uh, it just made me dumbass happy. I, I was super juiced. That shit, how beautiful, bro. Love yeah, <laughs> I love that a lot. Deshaun, you got siblings? I do. I have five siblings. I got two sisters, three brothers. Um, one of my brothers is my twin, actually. And oh, I didn't know you had a twin. Yeah, I got a fraternal <laughs> twin. We we've been rocking for the last twenty two, almost twenty three years out here. Nigga, you twenty two? Um, and you then really I be got doing hell of stuff at twenty two, twenty three. I didn't know you was twenty two, fam. No, listen, I'll be twenty three next month. You finna be in your Jordan year? Yes, and I'm ready to see what the hell it's gonna bring. But when, it's when's been your birthday? July twentieth. Mine's the twenty second. Oh, we got some can- we got some cancers on this episode. Hmm. I don't know. I heard I was a Leo recently, but that's another conversation. Wait, what day is your birthday? On? <laughs> the 22nd. I'm on the cusp. But that's some- the last day of cancer season. But someone did my birth chart. Okay, but they it's- lying though because the last day of cancer season is the 22nd. So, we can claim you. I mean, I'm down for whatever, honestly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I read on I read up on both of them. I see parts of myself in each of them. It's like, you know, whatever. I'm I'm cool with no, either yeah, one of them. <laughs> I see some of myself and Leo too, but we gotta claim the cancers. We get a lot of hate. Cancers? 
Yeah, we get a lot of hate for no reason. And so, and know, that's why I was kind of fucking with it because I just heard that I was like sensitive and shit. So I was like, oh, that definitely is me. But <laughs> yeah, we is sensitive. That's okay though. But nah, B, what, what brought you some black joy? Shit, uh, the other day I was just riding around on my motorcycle and I stopped at Lake Merritt and Deshaun Lake Merritt is like in the center of Oakland. It's like there's a lake and everybody mm. just kind of be out there chilling, um, having a good time and whatnot. And I was just posted out there just trying to get some sun, trying to get my 30 minutes outside. And I'm about to cut. And it's like these three little black kids and they with their mama. And one of the little kids was like, motorcycle, room, room. <laughs> and like just got hella excited. I was like, all right, you want to try it? Like you want to rev the engine? And I looked at his mom and his mom said, yeah. So he came over and was like, was like kind of scared for a second. And they revved the engine and just ran away. And then ran back and like did it again and just like <laughs> floored it. <laughs> And it was hella funny. And then his other little brother came and did it and ran away and then came and did it again. And then, like, the youngest one did it. And it was just hella funny. Like, and then there was hella black people at the lake, too. And everyone was watching and just smiling and laughing. So just, like, seeing everybody's joy and just seeing, like, the little kids have joy, you know, um, especially in Oakland, just seeing that joy of, of young black kids amidst, like, gentrification and shit, you know. So just that joy was just hella beautiful to see. It was just, like, a random-ass moment. Um, but that shit that. was hella cool. Kids give you a lot of joy. Little black kids, they they make your heart proud. And just seeing them like hella young and just like fucking around, having a good ass time, like that shit brought me joy. Just like seeing yeah. them happy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I so we gonna um, I think we could dive in and kind of you know get this joint started. Let's um, do it. So yeah, our first our first um, I guess like I don't know if topic or question is what we would call it, but um, you know, you sell the shirts. Let's say to be visibly queer is to choose your happiness over your safety. Do we get that yep. right? Um, so yeah, what what inspired that? Uh, what inspired you to say this, but also to to live this way? So, a lot of because the quote itself like went viral, the the thread didn't get like as much traction, um, and so people don't really know the context. But I tweeted that directly after hearing about the Jesse Smollett case. Um, and I tweeted it because that was like very, very soon after like, um, a black trans woman was murdered, um, along with something else that happened, um, to like a black trans or a black queer child. So because I'm out here, like in community with black queer folks here in Atlanta, black queer and trans folks, um, it's just something that we have always I guess kind of exuded like we've always just been um, people who recognize the fact that being visibly queer comes with a lot of harmful shit um, and people respond in a lot of different ways to you um, by being visibly queer and of course being visibly queer looks differently depending on who the person is but I was centering black um, black queer folks in that conversation um, because so oftentimes we don't get to like make the decision to be visibly queer. We are visibly queer when we're, when we're queer because people always bring us um, out of those boxes and, and black folks, so many of us, we don't really have a, a right to gender or sexuality. Um, so I tweeted that and um, it took off and folks started asking for merch and I'm like, well, I'm 
a poor black organizer here in Atlanta trying to do shit for myself and for community. So um, why not like go ahead and, and, and fund that in that way if folks are going to try to buy it. And um, it did a lot better than I ever anticipated. That campaign is still going on. I tweeted it back in um, January. So it's really dope. I, I just appreciate and wanted to do something for um, queer folks who, you know, are out here choosing every day to to get up and and live their best life as their full selves um, without any concern for, well, I won't say without any concern, but um, knowing what kind of harm they could possibly face and still choosing to do so. And also I wanted to give space to those who don't have the space to be openly queer or visibly queer um, and who are having to prioritize their safety um, over their happiness. And by happiness, I really just mean over um, being able to fully showcase themselves out loud. Um, so that's that's kind of like what inspired it. That's kind of what led me to those words. But what a lot of folks don't know is that before I tweeted that, last year is when I originally wrote the quote. I wrote it on um, in an article for Race Bader on this black boy in the Netherlands. His name's Orlando. He was 17 years old. Um, and was found dead in the bottom of a lake. Um, and it was reported that he, the last time he was seen was when he was on his way to um, a hookup from Grinder. Grinder is a hookup, a gay hookup app, and he was on his way to a hookup with this guy apparently. And that was the last time he was seen until the, he was found at the bottom of the lake in a plastic um, trash bag. So I wrote this piece for Race Bader about the harms of engaging in in queer sex when you are surrounded by, or when you live in a world really that doesn't want you to um, be able to engage sex safe, safely. And so oftentimes you put your body on the line and put your body at risk um, because you're engaging in really risky practices because your parents don't want you to be having sex or don't want you to be queer. The rest of the world don't want you to be queer. And so you're doing things um, behind everyone's back and you're, you're making sneaky decisions um, so that you can try your best to live as who you are. And that's what, that is what originally inspired that quote. Um, and then it just came to mind again after I heard about Jesse Smollett. Damn, that's, Damn. that's deep. I guess just, it's, it's like so much tragedy and trauma, you know. Yeah. Like. Yep. And it, I know I've seen that that quote go viral, you know. Um, but there's a lot of tragedy behind that virality, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and you think about it, it's really coming from like niggas just want to exist, fam. Like motherfuckers ain't right. asking for much, but just to be able to live and live their best life. Literally, like niggas is that's. <laughs> Folks are just trying to be out here and do what the fuck they want to do without causing harm to anybody else. And for whatever reason, that is like the biggest crime in the world. Um, and it's wild. Like a lot of folks, you know, have responded really well to it, of course. But also everyone is like, damn, I wish this wasn't the case. And I wish it wasn't the case. Like right. I wish those words weren't true. Like um, it just doesn't make any sense that, you know, in order for you to be happy you gotta be like you know what fuck my safety um 
but oftentimes that is what leads to people like waiting so long to come out to their parents and all that shit. Yeah, because there's, I feel like that quote went so viral and just seen it, but I feel like a lot of people, like including myself, like I didn't know the backstory about the quote. Yeah. You know, so I think uh, I'm grateful for you to being on this platform and be able to talk about like that backstory behind the quote. You know, I'm glad that y'all allow me to. A lot of folks, like you said, they don't know they don't know what it means and, or they don't know where it came from. And of course, you know, like <laughs> the white gays have gotten their hands to it. So <laughs> that just changed yeah. the whole a whole narrative around it. But um, yeah, so I'm glad I'm able to explain all that on here. You, you said something earlier that really um, stuck with me that I'm hoping that you can expand on uh, when you were mm-hmm. given the backstory. But you mm-hmm. said uh, black folks are black. Yeah, I don't know if you. I can. I don't know if you said black folks or black queer folks. We along something along the lines of don't have a right to gender or sexuality. Mm-hmm. Can you expand? On, I don't know what the exact quote was, but can you expand on that? Yeah. So no, I did say black people in general, um, and I say that because gender, the gender binary, and sexuality are both colonial um, or products of colonialism, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so because of that being that our entire existence in America, in the West, is through chattel slavery and capitalism um, and the construction of the gender binary and sexuality were through capitalism and chattel slavery to make sure that we didn't have access to gender and sexuality. Um, is why I say that black folks, we, we cling on to you know manhood and womanhood, cis manhood and cis womanhood, but the reality is that so many of us will always already fail gender and sexuality because it was never meant for us to ha- to have. It was never meant for us to participate in. Um, and that's, I think that is what, that is what leads me to my identifying as non-binary and my, my identifying as queer. Um, because for me, both of those things are very political in that I am, mm-hmm doing my best to use language that I have, of course, here in the West, that um, can remove me from the gender binary and sexuality as much as possible, um, to be able to exist outside of these um, colonial projects, really, that have for so long kept black men in these like hyper-masculine um, and hegemonic um, masculinity um, I guess molds and has often kept black women from having access to womanhood like um and has kept them from from being able to fully experience um all of who they are because of you know things like the angry black woman trope and um and you know so many other other things that that keep us black folks from being able to fully access gender and sexuality so that's what i meant by that was like um, you know, of course, many, many, many people, black folks, identify as men, uh, as men and women, and that's completely fine. Um, but the reality is that the gender binary and sexuality um, were never really meant for us to comfortably fit in, and that is where I sit right now with gender and sexuality. Right. Like so many people want to talk about race. Right. And talk about that as like a colonial construct and that's the product of, of white supremacy. But then Niggas when it comes to gender, gender and sexuality, and sexuality is like, oh, no, like 
so people like attach themselves to right. this white supremacist <laughs> construct and these white supremacist notions of what gender is, of what a man, what it means to be a man, yeah, what it means mm-hmm. to be a woman. Like this conversation has me even readdressing the ways in which I identify if I'm going to consider myself a black radical. Right. No, I think it's important too. Like I think, I think that it's. It should. I think if if we really are sitting with the fact that all these things came through the um, the enslavement of our ancestors, right? Like, if, if that's where all these things were created, then if we're moving towards a more liberated future, I don't know how we can hold on to these concepts or onto these constructs. Um, and I don't know, and I don't necessarily believe, right, that, like, non-binary and agender and all these different things are the end-all, be-all to that. But I do think that... Um, it does a better job of moving us away from these deeply rooted colonial uh, constructs that so oftentimes keep us attached to these really toxic ideas of who we are and who everyone else is supposed to be and how everyone else is supposed to perform. No, I, I, I 100% agree. And it's about like, yeah, again, if we really are trying to like remove ourselves from white supremacist standards, niggas got to call a spade a spade and understand when yeah. you are using you know, terms, structure, systems that were in fact constructed through white supremacist tactics. Yeah, exactly. That's just the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, that was that was deep. That was hard. Like that that has me like literally almost quiet because I'm just thinking in my mind. You know, um, so <laughs> you just you just dropping gems on here right now. Listen, so, you know, I got to I appreciate come it. through a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was saying. Like, you really got to gas yourself up. Like, you just dropping shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's nothing. Like, gas yourself up, fam. For real, for real. So, I know, um, you know, at Hello Black, we're trying to really uplift Pride Month and really center black queer voices. And I know, I think I saw you tweet that you don't celebrate Pride, right? Yep. So, can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that and and, you know, why you don't celebrate it? Yeah. Um, so I, that tweet came from another article that I wrote. Pull your article, <laughs> um, please. Niggas be right. Yeah, we got a writer on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote an article for BET um, just uh, a week or so ago. About a week about, ago. About a week ago. Just dropped the body about a week ago. Jesus. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was about like why I don't celebrate Pride and what the origins of Pride are because this year would be the 50th um, anniversary of the Stonewall uprisings. Um, and for folks who don't know what that is, um, that is back in 69, um, Marsha B. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and a bunch of other folks decided that they were going to fight back in New York against police violence and um, the erasure of uh, black trans folks in these white cis gay spaces. Um, and so that for six days straight, they rioted at the Stonewall, which was um, a gay bar and club. So I wrote about the origins of that and how now 50 years later, pride is so far removed from what the origins are, right? Like if, if pride started as a riot, if pride started as a protest of police violence, but then we are hosting pride events where um, where companies like Nike and Jack Daniels are heavily invested in like prison labor, right? Or they're heavily invested in like um, sub- the substance abuse of 
queer and trans folks that goes completely against what the origins were or if we're remembering that the origins of pride are or was a uprising and a protest against police violence but then we're including police to be there to do quote-unquote security right like we're going completely against the what origins. it was about yeah so i choose like june has been for a long time recognized as pride month but here in atlanta during labor day weekend we have um what we call black pride and so i go to pride in september instead of in june because it is a lot closer to the origins of what pride is supposed to be than this corporatized rainbow capitalistic um pride that happens in june yeah, and we we see this kind of shit happen over and over again, right? Yep. Where big big corporations co-opt fucking movements. We were in um, fuck, I don't know. I was in L.A. and I think Blake might have sent me a picture of a fucking cop car at Pride with a rainbow sticker on there, like yep. nigga. <laughs> and that was in San Francisco. Like they are like SFPD is proud to introduce our first Pride police vehicle. Like yeah. They do that shit so often, like around the fucking country. Like, they paint their vehicles pink. The fucking CIA and FBI post goddamn like pride. They change their like their symbols to rainbow colors and shit. I'm like, y'all are the FBI and the CIA. Like, nigga, like, what? <laughs> but what, what's so wild when I think about it is right. Like when, when you just when you just describe the origins of pride, it was completely a like radical revolutionary act, right? Um, right. so like completely rejecting the system. And I seen the other day there was this cafe. I don't know if you saw the tweet. I don't know where it was at, but there's this cafe that like has this big ass boulder near a place that I think houseless folks would usually sleep at, right? So they put like a big ass boulder there to prevent them from sleeping there, and then they painted it in a rainbow. For what reason? Like, <laughs> what? what do you, like, what my do you nigga, gain? I'm pretty sure y'all fucking blocking queer houseless folks from sleeping somewhere, my nigga. Like, what's really right. going on here? Do you like? like. <laughs> That's the shit that I'm talking about. Like they just do wild shit for for money and and really to like to appease fucking white gays. Like here in Atlanta, two years ago, I wrote an article about this as well. Like um, in one of the most affluent parts of the city of Atlanta, they built a rainbow crosswalk. It literally serves no fucking purpose, but it's the place where a lot of white gays are always at. So they built that, and that shit was like two hundred thousand dollars or some shit. And I'm like, meanwhile. Most of the homeless population here in Atlanta are black, queer, and trans folks who can't Boom. get shelter because nobody's catering to black, queer, and trans folks. But y'all are out here building fucking rainbow crosswalks for 200 stacks. 200, right. like, for what reason? And you could have built apartment complexes. Right. With that, that money, you could have housed people. With that money, what the fuck? Provided you really essential, go around you know. And you like, emptied houses and made that shelters. Yeah. It almost seems like it's like a form of erasure too because it's putting it at such a mainstream corporate level, right? But right. then you have black trans women being murdered in the streets. You have a lot of queer folks who are houseless, right? So it's right. like almost an erasure because I feel like I feel like I see a lot of like straight people like, oh, Pride is so celebrated. Like you see a lot of black straight people saying, oh, Pride is so celebrated, but why isn't like black people celebrated? Yeah. Like I've seen tweets like that. And I'm like, this is literally just erasing black queer All folks the black queer trans folks you right know. and it's wild because you know like marsha p johnson she started star which was um 
an organization for black trans sex workers. And both she and Sylvia Rivera, they were fucking socialists. So to see something come from that to this is like, why the fuck would I celebrate that? <laughs> I mean, and of course I want, you know, black, I don't want to stop black and brown queer and trans folks from experiencing any sort of happiness or joy, which is why I don't like fight against folks who do celebrate it this month, but I actively choose not to because me, a black queer trans person celebrating some shit that my black queer trans ancestors wouldn't fucking appreciate, it just doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, that's 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 where my head was at. I was thinking like, all right, but it's like when you I feel like for so we talked about this last on our last episode, right? Like for some folks, like pride is the only time where they can be celebrated. You know what I'm saying? For like the right, where it's like the only time they they are given that chance to be in community with. Um, yeah, it's the only chance they are given to be in community. So I, you know, I I get it, but we also have to like I don't know when it when it like you said when it comes to paying respect to the folks that that you know started this shit that founded it and also understanding that shit's just not what it used to be bro it's being corrected right. you know right i think a lot about the same when it comes to juneteenth yeah do you explain a little bit more about that yeah um like you know a lot of black folks with juneteenth and with goddamn fourth of july we get together and we cook out we do our thing like but with juneteenth in, in particular we, we get together and celebrate our freedom quote unquote um, and you know, I get it because community and I love anytime we can create community and sustain community. I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, but you know, like at what cost, right? Like how many black folks are sitting in prison still who are not free, who are still slaves. Um, and we're out here shouting like, oh, we free, but like Who's free? folks getting shot down by fucking police every few hours and around, around the country. So like. It's just it's a it's a it's kind of nice. It's just not something that I can really sit with and and celebrate and hold um, without thinking about the repercussions. But I also, like Delincey just said, I'm also just always thinking about community and you know how I don't want to ever stop Black folks from being able to experience some sort of real ass community. So it's like a a middle ground. Yeah, now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I get that for sure. Um, so yeah, something that I've we've both seen you talk a lot about is mm-hmm. anti fatness. Mm-hmm. Can you define that for the listeners, and then also discuss how anti fatness ties into anti black racism? Yes. So, um, anti fatness is, or I define it as the social, political, interpersonal, and cultural discrimination of and oppression of fat folks. Um, and so it shows up through scientific anti-fatness, which a lot of us under, understand about like scientific racism. Um, it shows up through diet culture, which I can explain in a second. It shows up through um, our cultural and interpersonal interactions with one another. Uh, so like the, the things where, you know, the fat kids are getting picked on in schools and um, shit like that, but it also shows up through fat folks not being able to be housed or being less likely to be housed or fat women and um, fat queer folks being more likely to be sexually assaulted by police or 
um, fat folks being less likely to be able to find jobs. Um, and so like a lot of folks think that when people first hear anti-fatness or fat phobia, their minds immediately jump to body positivity, which LOL. Uh, um, <laughs> and what body positivity was originally, it was originally a, a movement called the fat acceptance movement started by um, black women and Jewish women, um, black women and non-black Jewish women. And it was a movement um, to create space for fat folks to be seen in ways that we otherwise are not and has now been co-opted like every other movement um, to be an all bodies matter type of, of thing where everyone is wanting to, you know, showcase their bodies, especially through social media. Um, but it, it never is about fat folks, centering fat folks, um, nor is it ever about, you know, encouraging and fighting for fat liberation. So my work has been around specifically around how anti-fatness is interconnected to anti-blackness. And so I'm currently reading a book by Sabrina Strings. It's called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. Um, and it's about black women specifically, but it also talks about black folks at large. Um, and it has helped me to give more language to like my work and the work that I'm doing around that. Um, but when I think the, the best and the biggest example I can use right now in this moment is Eric Garner and Mike Brown. So just recently it came out that the lawyers of the folks or the folks defending um, the officers who murdered Eric Garner are saying that his murder was justified because he was fat. They're saying that they said two things. One of the things that they said was if he wasn't, quote, obese, he would have survived being put in a chokehold. And then they said that because he was fat, he was going to die anyway. Um, and that shit is so sick. No, yeah, <laughs> it's sick as fuck. Like that shit is like I I'm laughing because you just can't imagine like sometimes I feel like I can't imagine it getting much worse than it already is and then they say some fuck shit like that and it's like damn y'all really are fucking demons like pure devils it, like that's just devilish no for real like that shit just uh, is a, on another level but so they did that and it reminded me of something I had seen before and I forgot his name but um, there was a fat black actor who was approached by police and was brutalized by police and um, they gave similar reasons as to why they were brutalizing him. And so I, I use those as an example because it's easier to talk about those and have folks understand that, um, the, how anti-blackness and anti-fatness connect than it is going over what exactly scientific anti-fatness is and how it shows up through medicine and, and diet culture and stuff like that. Um, because it is those it is that mentality, this idea that fat folks are the walking dead, that fat folks are walking diseases, um, and that we are going to die anyway, as if all of us are not going to die eventually, um, is what has led to 
this oppression of fat folks, but the origin really of it is what really becomes more like, I think becomes more worth talking about. And the origins of it is that back in the 18th century here in, in it's been going on for a while before that, but it became more like solidified through language in the 18th century in Europe and here in um, the US where white folks saw black people, black women specifically, and they called them things like African beasts and um, and different language like that to where you were thought to be purely undesirable and also beastly. Right, like the, um, like you, the mammy stereotype or the mammy caricature. Exactly, exactly. Um, like you become purely like detached from humanity when they saw sexualized and all that exactly when they saw these african like women who were fat um but the mammy caricature comes like around 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 that time but also a little bit later like it becomes more solidified through of course like slavery and all of that um but with these folks in Europe in particular, they saw black women for the for not the first time, but the first time in mass in that way, and are like, there's no way we can look like that. Like prior to that, it was thought to be like you weren't really a, a, a good person or a wealthy person if you were too thin. But when they saw black folks and our bodies, they were like, we can't look like that or we're going to be too beastly. So then they come to, you know, building entire industries around fatness. And that's where you get things like diet culture. And what diet culture is, a lot of folks, you know, when they hear fat fat folks talk about this, they always think like, why are y'all so bothered about, you know, people's diets? And why do you care about what people eat and what they do and whatever? But the reality is that Diets were created specifically around dehumanizing fatness and fat people. And their entire it's an entire industry that has built millions and millions of dollars off the backs of the dehumanization of fat people. So if you think about things like Weight Watchers, um, Oprah, she has shares in Weight Watchers, and it's a very small percent, but she has made in the last few years, um, I forget the exact number, but over couple hundred million dollars from Weight Watchers. And she only has a small percentage of it, right? So, not, and, and it becomes harmful because not only are you telling folks that fatness is bad, but you're not, engaged, you're not in, informing folks that diets most oftentimes don't work. And when you, what, the, weight, the weight that you lose, you oftentimes gain back. So then you're constantly giving your money to people to tell you what to eat and what not to eat and how to work out and how not to work out when none of it is sustainable for a lot of folks because fatness is not really a, always about what you eat or what you don't eat or whether or not you work out um, and stuff like that. So that's diet culture. And then, of course, you have scientific anti-fatness, which heavily informs the medical industry, um, which it, which says that, you know, if you're fat, you are more likely to have diabetes and high cholesterol and high blood pressure and, and whatnot. Uh, but the reality is that fatness 
does not define that. A lot of doctors and nutritionists and dietitians have written about this over the last few years. And what they found is that just like with black folks, when it comes to like the testing, like the creation of gynecology through the testing it on um, black women and um, other things like that with scientific racism, eugenics is the the cause for scientific anti-fatness. And some and po- folks in the West have bought it, made it into policies, and has transformed culture um, to define fatness as harmful and has now like led to decades, <laughs> centuries worth of oppression against fat folks. And it becomes worse when you engage black people because you have things like the BMI scale, which was never really meant to... Um, was never meant to weigh or measure um, the fatness of an individual person. It was about a population. Um, Black folks are so oftentimes always bigger than what's on the BMI scale. And so that has oftentimes led to us being labeled as, quote, obese obese or overweight um, and has kept us from being able to ever really be considered quote unquote healthy or um, the correct weight or whatever, even though there is no correct weight because there is no universal weight for anyone. Um, so it is it is a very like deeply fabricated system of domination, just like everything else that we engage. Um, and because it is so under because fat studies is so underfunded and because a lot of black folks are not really given space to to write these books on on our experiences and things of that nature um it becomes a lot harder for folks to recognize this as a real thing um but it is a very real thing and i'm actually working on a book proposal now so that i can write out an entire book around this around anti-fatness anti-blackness and desirability politics because it all plays a major role in how black men in particular and black AMAP folks or folks assigned male at birth, how we're engaged um, when we're fat, especially when we're also fat and dark skinned. Um, so yeah, I know I'm rambling a lot, I've given a lot, but that is a whole thing. Yeah, that's America, white supremacy, capitalism, all this shit. It really yeah. just oppresses everything. Like you talking about pride, you talking about anti-fatness. Like capitalism in America finds ways to oppress and make money off of oppression. It just is really, it's, it's disgusting. Sick. It's sick. It's sick. Like they find ways to fucking oppress everybody. <laughs> right. Make us all out to be fucking, especially black folks. We're all out here to be beasts and shit like that. It's sick. And it's not really. It's discussed, but I don't think it's like always discussed, right? You know, so when you talk about Eric Garner or you talk about Mike Brown, like Mike Brown was fat and black, right? right? They call, Darren Wilson literally called him a it, right? Right. Like so really- like thinking about the dehumanization, like size has a role into how many you know black men are being executed by the police. Yeah, like I, I tell folks all the time to think back to. 2014 through 2016 specifically and think about the 
people we were seeing on our TV screens all the time, Mike Brown, Eric Garner, Samuel DeBose, um, Walter Scott, Alton Sterling, all these men were mostly fat, black, and poor. And that is what defines oftentimes like um, police brutality. That is oftentimes what we, who we see engaged um, in a more harmful way because we are already always engaged as hyper-aggressive beasts um, and hyper-masculine. Yeah, B made the point about like it not being discussed, anti-fatness, and I'm, it's, it's definitely yep. not discussed just because like, bro, the world hates fat people. Yes. That's just what it is. <laughs> and, on, and on top of that, like, fat folks are always being silenced. Like, anytime right. y'all, y'all speak on anti-fatness, it's a million motherfuckers, fat, skinny, or like whatever terms you want to use, I don't know what the correct terms are using, that are trying to silence mm-hmm. fat folks. Like, that's just what it is. Literally. Like, like it, it, it's, every time. It's disgusting, fam. And it's, it's really like, I don't know, it's just... It's so fucking oppressive, bro. And it's just when I when I think because I've I don't like when I read a lot of the stuff around anti-fatness and when I see a lot of stuff on Twitter or whatever, it's just like folks always looking to justify another form of bigotry and oppression. Like that's just that's that's yep. what you see. They they try to make they it's it's that's all it is. Folks will folks will do anything except listen to the except listen to fat people. Like why aren't niggas just listening to them? Like why right. why not? I don't I don't fucking get it. It, like and it, it's it's like I don't think <laughs> I don't think they get it either. I think so many people think that you know we talk just to talk and like that it comes from a place of insecurity. And for a lot of folks, it might be insecurity. And I th- and I am someone who recognizes insecurities as valid. And that's real. Um, yeah, I was about to say that's that's like, a real thing, right? It's a very real thing. It's a you have reason to be insecure, um, and that has. A place in like entering the entering into those conversations, but I also think that like folks just think that it's that alone, and that we're not studied, that we aren't researching this shit, that we're not like thinking about this in a quote unquote scholarly manner, like we think People about think black just tweeting gender studies and shit. Right, right. exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like black studies for a long time wasn't fucking recognized as legitimate. Neither was gender studies. Like we got to actually consider that academia has never really been a place for folks oppressed folks to really be able to like get out yeah it's not uh, a means of liberation it's not a means of liberation i also think that like folks don't understand like what i just got from you talking was Mm -hmm. i don't think people really understand how multifaceted anti-fatness is yeah you feel me like I don't think me myself as a former college athlete will understand the role that anti-fatness has played in my life in the way in which i in the ways in which i look at my body you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying and the standard to which i hold my body too anti-fatness is at the root of the reason why i work out so much period yeah but like people try to mask it as like this pro-health thing when it's really anti-fatness and i i'm so glad you said that <laughs> <laughs> i heard a few claps so back there because <laughs> niggas when I, people love to pretend like oh no i'm out here because you know i'm whatever whatever like no, that's not why you're out there. Like yeah. most Nigga. folks who are out, you're trying to be attractive. They're trying to conventionally attractive. Conventionally attractive from being able to like say that you are like a quote unquote in shape person or a fit person. It yeah. has a lot of different perks. Um, right. Like, and there's no reason to lie about that. Like, we all know it's the truth. Facts. So I'm glad that you said that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like for me and D, like we're both, we both were 
you know, college right. athletes. And for myself, since stopping playing, like, I probably put on, like, 40 pounds. Same. Mm-hmm. You know, and – but I'm also realizing, like, the weight I'm at now is definitely the healthiest weight I feel like for myself I've been at, even though yeah. I'm, you know, quote-unquote heavier, right? Um, but, like, I feel the healthiest I've ever been in terms of, like, pain that my body experiences. Right. You know, but if you look at me, 40 pounds lighter, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you were skinnier. You, you know, you look better. You was in shape. I'm like, I feel the best I feel right now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I think about the ways. Like, you don't live in my body. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think about the ways you in which don't folks. live in my body. Like, that, that's really just the bottom line. Point like, one, period. Like, yeah. I'm thinking about how people have engaged with me since I've, like, put on weight, right? Like, you hear somebody say, oh, you're getting big. It's like, even the ways in which they say that, like, mm-hmm. ultimately with me, I receive that negatively in the tone in which they present it. Mm-hmm. It seems negatively, you know what I'm right. saying? So I'm just thinking like, I, I'm I'm like, damn, you know, I was definitely somebody that felt like anti-fatness only affected fat people until I started really looking, like opening my fucking eyes. Like, nigga, this shit is at the root in how you fucking function, my nigga. Engaged it is the reason period. why you're in the gym four days a week. Yes, like, it's just like with anti-blackness. People think, like anti-blackness is just about black folks but it's not right like if you get rid of anti-blackness you remove yourself from fucking like or you don't remove yourself from but you work like you work towards deconstructing racism altogether like brown folks are impacted by anti-blackness because anti-blackness exists so like it's the same thing with anti-fatness if we're if we are like centering fat folks and centering deconstructing anti-fatness we can work towards a, a place where nobody has to like really engage their bodies as fucking commodities or some shit um, that they have to consistently like build and work and work on and and change in order to fit other people's criteria. Whew, there's a lot going on <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> like, or it's, it's just making me contemplate. Like, I'm like, I'm literally kind of quiet because I'm just thinking in my mind, I'm like, damn, I remember being like a little chubby you know kid Mm -hmm. you know who had asthma and had to take all this asthma medication Mm -hmm. and being made fun of (laughs) you know and then like playing sports and like sports was a way where i was like oh i felt better but then realizing like what that did to my body too you Mm -hmm. know like all the injuries and things like that and i'm yeah i'm just over here contemplating a lot so i appreciate your uh just the way you you're making me think i'm thinking about uh, i'm thinking about all the anti-fat shit i've said like no, yeah, fucking it's ridiculous. Deeply, like we all said it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's even to the point like a lot of times I'll tell people that before I was diagnosed with my um, heart condition back in 2017, I was an athlete. I, there's not a sport you can name that I haven't played. And folks are like, "Wait, you?" Unless it's football, because of course fat folks can play football, but. That's it. Like they don't they don't picture me playing fucking soccer and baseball and basketball or whatever. But baseball is my favorite sport to play. Um, so I was a fucking third baseman. I could hit a ball better than half of these niggas. Like so, it's just um, it's definitely like a a deeply embedded thing that is always shifting, but it's always about fat folks. Yeah, man, I'm, uh, I really appreciate you coming on here and dropping this knowledge. I'm, I'm processing a lot of shit in real time, and the 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 fact remains is motherfuckers need to check their anti-fatness um, and understand the ways in which it it pertains and uh, is like directly connected to um, anti-blackness. 
Yeah. Period. Especially because so. you hear so many folks talk about police violence. Right. right? But won't talk about the role that anti-fatness plays. You plays know, in it. Or like just the concept of intersectionality. We often don't hear anti-fatness as one of those like forms of systems of oppression. Right. That right. Just talk about misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, ableism. You feel me? But like right. you don't hear, you oftentimes don't hear folks bring up anti-fatness. Yep. Like fat phobia is never mentioned in circles when when you talk about the phobias. Nope, never, and it probably won't be for another for another few years. That's why we need you to get this book deal. You feel me? And, Man, and push this academy. I know for sure. Next, you know when I teach uh, next year, I'm for sure gonna be talking about anti-fatness. So you for sure gotta uh, send me an article. I'm gonna put that in my syllabus for sure. I got you. Can you sound like. Um, Seko for Brown. <laughs> he told me to do the same thing. He was like, "Hey, yo, I need you to. We got to reach out to each other so I can um, put this shit in my curriculum." I'm like, "Hey, y'all, the professors. I'm gonna send y'all whatever y'all need. I'm cool." <laughs> shit, shout out uh, Sankofa. Sankofa has been on Hello Black too. That was you our know, first got, guest. No, nah, it was. Who was the first guest? This Black neighborhood. Was. Black neighborhood. Well, okay. When we revamped, yeah, Sankofa was our first guest. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Sankofa yeah. be dropping a lot of game. Yeah, he's smart as hell. So, oh, it's on me. Fuck. Um, so yeah, we I've saw well we've talked about it over this fucking hour. How much writing you do? Um, <sighs> has that shit always been a passion of yours? And how did you get into it? Uh, yeah, like I've always really loved writing. Um, I know we're gonna get to this in a minute, so I'll explain it later. But like, um. Before I started writing prose, I was writing music. Um, where, like, I I used to, I started reading when I was, I don't know, I was really young. It was before I got to to kindergarten. I started reading, and then um, in first grade, I picked up a Harry Potter book, and I've been reading ever since. Um, and so, words have just always meant something to me, and being able to express those words. Um, through my writing in ways that I oftentimes couldn't do like um, through my speaking is what really helped me like as a, as a kid. So I used to write all the time. It's always been a huge passion of mine and English class, um, literature, all of that have always been my favorite classes. Um, but it wasn't until college that I started writing professionally. Um, my English professor, shout out to Dr. Natasha Walker, she um she was like you're a really dope ass writer and you need to be writing more and i was like uh i don't even want to write this shit for your class i'm just trying to get out of out of school like <laughs> i wasn't trying to do all of that but then um because of like um some shit that happened in summer of 2017 i like became homeless and was like dealing with like a bunch of other stuff here in the city and so i needed a way to make money and make money fast so i started writing professionally and i've been doing it ever since you a far ass writer that's for sure oh man i I appreciate it i really do yeah writing sometimes is like uh it's difficult and sometimes i'm like man this shit is all trash so I really do appreciate when I hear stuff like that. Yeah, I commend you, fam. I, I majored in journalism in college. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I did I did a ton of writing like post undergrad. Um mm-hmm. and as of I have I probably haven't written a story in at least a year. Um I haven't published anything in probably a year and it's it's something I hope I can get back into in over the next few months. Um but it's it's it's, hella, it's super taxing. So like I was on your website yesterday, I'm like, damn, this nigga be cranking them out. Writing, <laughs> writing is tough. <laughs> what the fuck? Especially when it's around like trauma too. There's like a lot of emotional labor that goes into writing, you know, and just like how trauma In addition to the research and all that shit, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like reading about trauma, reading about oppression, because that's what we, you know, tend to be writing about. Right. Like that that definitely takes a toll. But yeah, I know I know you talked a little bit uh about music, you know, so what what what's the role that music is played in your life? Yes. So um when I was a kid, I just started like so so I I grew up in the church. I'm I no longer am a Christian and all that good stuff, but I grew up in the church. So y'all both probably know this, um, but especially in the South, like black parents don't play about you being in the church, you gotta be in there, gotta be on the fucking choir, you gotta be on the dance team, you gotta <laughs> you, you gotta going do all out. All out. So um I was on the choir as a kid and I realized how much I really enjoy singing. Um, and I also was playing instruments at the time. Um, so I started writing music um, as a kid and just like writing out different lyrics and um, hearing the melody in my head. Um, this was before I could actually read music, so I didn't write the actual music out, but just writing out different lyrics and singing them and playing them to different um, melodies in my head. And as I got older, I joined band um, in middle school. I joined band, started playing the flute and the saxophone and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and so from there, I kept writing, but this, but then I started writing out the actual music, the, the notes and shit on the staff um, so that I could actually have songs so i started going from there and started leading praise and worship at my um on like at my church i I would be the praise and worship leader and i would go and like sing at different at other churches and i would perform at like different um venues like just i was just out singing doing my thing um and playing like my saxophone and stuff like that for a while um and then after I was diagnosed with my heart condition in 2017. Um, That was in October 2017, so it was like towards the end of my senior year in high school, and um, it like it it disrupted my like time in band. I wasn't able to play anymore. I wasn't able to like finish out my season as a drum major. So I kind of gave up on music for a little bit. Like I continued to sing. in church and stuff like that, but I stopped writing. I stopped really playing a lot outside of church and stuff like that um, until I guess like the last couple of years. Like I picked back, I picked it back up again because music has always been something that I've loved. It has literally saved my life several times over, um, and I've always just enjoyed listening to it, um, hearing different sounds, like figuring different things out, um, and. I guess I like, really perfected my craft. Um, 
<laughs> at one point I wanted to be a, an actual famous musician um, or famous vocalist. I no longer want to do that because Maybe that's we all at one point. Right, literally. Like <laughs> I no longer want that anymore. But um, I do like in 2014, I, my Twitter account became like a really um, heavily political space, like a lot of us. And then more recently, I'm like, fuck this shit because online politics are a bunch of bullshit and I actually don't really need all that. So I started going back to just talking more about music. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I saw, um, like, I realized through the way that you're tweeting, I'm like, all right, they definitely, like, fuck with music on a deeper level. It's not just, like, some fan shit, right? Because I see you tweet <laughs> a lot about Fantasia, mentioning Fantasia. Did yes. you see her at the BET Awards tonight? No, I have not. Nigga. Because it's on right now. I know <laughs> she I'm looks so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> she looks so fucking good. I just want to throw that I out there. I know she does. I I'm know telling does. you right now, like it's ridiculous. The like, second that we finish this, I'm definitely going yeah, to look I'm, at I'm this. A, I'm gonna throw that out there, but okay. Back to what <laughs> I was saying. Um, yeah, I could just tell through the way that you're tweeting. I'm like, all right, they fuck with music hella tough. And honestly, I don't trust black people that didn't make music at one point in their life. Like, I don't care if it was on fucking Fruity Loops or you just recorded on your fucking audio voice message right. or something as a kid. If you've never took a shot at music as a black person i don't trust you <laughs> i fuck with that i fuck with that heavy actually i'm gonna start being like that because niggas don't be knowing music for real period like if you didn't make at least one song on garage band i don't know if you didn't have at least one myspace artist page <laughs> right <laughs> cannot fuck with niggas might have had a facebook all. one too I used to have a lot of those when they when facebook first started so what, what what music you listening to right now? I saw that you was um, and I don't think we gonna discuss it. I mean, we probably can in extend the content because we about to we about to switch over to that in a minute. But before we get into that, um, mm-hmm. I, I said that because I was gonna say I know that you have been tweeting about the Lil Nas X um yeah. project recently. Uh, I know you fuck with Fantasia. Uh, you all recently talked about like you were making the connections between like Midwest and down south music, right? I seen uh-huh. yeah. So like what I say that to say what artists you fuck with right now. Oh man, I fuck with so many artists. Um, so I listen to like rap and hip hop, R and B, country, alternative, electronic, punk, like all that shit. So I listen to a lot of different artists. Most of most all of them are black. Um, but like I'll just say, in the last few days, I've been listening to um, Lil Nas X. Of course, his EP I think is really fire. Um, Trina's new album. I have been listening to um, this underground R&B artist who I always got to shout out because he's fucking amazing. His name is Brick Liam. Um, he's really talented, and I listen to him a lot. Um, Cardi B, of course. Fantasia, of course. I've listened to a lot of Lil' Kim and Queen Latifah and a bunch of like older um, women in rap. But I listen to so many different artists. I, just, I have a love for music, so whenever I'm able to just... Um, pull different folks up. I'm listening to different artists all the time. As a matter of fact, I was just listening to Kurt Franklin earlier today. Um, and like, here, cheer, folks like that. Not I Smile, I hate that song. That um, made me cry <laughs> damn near. Every time I hear it, it just got a, it got a special memory in my heart. <laughs> no, that's real. It, I used to love the song, but um, my choir used to sing it all the time. And I was like, okay, this is over. Yeah, be sung out. I think you yeah. for sure got a career in music journalism. I don't know if you've tapped into that yet, but... I don't know if you that's know, something you're interested in, but 
I, I kind of want to. I want to try my hand at it. At first, I was like, uh, I write so much on like you know political shit that I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to actually do musical journalism um, because the politics of all of that is is a lot. But I definitely think I want to try it because I enjoy it. I wrote a piece about Lil Wayne recently, and it got a good amount of attention. And so, you write about his uh, rock album or something? Yeah, I wrote about um, his collab with Blink One Eighty Two and. Like just talking about how the album nobody liked <laughs> his rock album is now influencing the entire hip hop industry. Yo, um, I was really saying that. Shit. I was like, Lil Wayne was on some visionary yeah. shit. Remember, like, for remember real, Lollipop, like, like Lollipop was revolutionary. Period. Period. Like y'all better put some respect on Lil Wayne right now <laughs> like, no for real like niggas was saying on him like rock is for white people first of all rock was started by black folks our shit white right? folks just lying to you <laughs> that's been our shit like and the fact that he was doing that shit with Carter 3 and then with Rebirth like and then with I'm Not a Human Being like that nigga was not fucking playing no games and now the entire industry is making music like him like they just gotta put respect on him so that's what the article is about basically <laughs> Yeah, um, we just thought it was, and you you kind of touched on it earlier. We just thought it was important that we centered some other parts of you because I I kind of fell victim to that too, right? Like once I started getting politicized, I felt like everything I put on Twitter had to be political. Then I'm like, nigga, this is like hella like reductionist of myself. Like, nigga, yep. this is not just all who I am, and it's not who all I'm gonna be. You feel me? Thanks. So I've I think it's power and like you feel me kind of being like all right nigga this is part of me but i'm gonna also address this other shit which is why we didn't want to strictly talk about the organizing and shit that you do in the writing and shit you do we thought it was important that you know we do it in something a little more i guess i don't want to say lighthearted, but something that showed another facet to you yeah no, I like yeah, a lot I of times for organizers especially people put organizers and activists and people who are political in these boxes like we ain't just full people you know who right. have like <laughs> interests outside right. of politics and organizing you know what I'm saying? So we gotta always talk thank about. Thank you so much for uh for being on this this episode with us and sharing all, you know, your full self. Oh yeah, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Um, I love that. We don't always gotta be talking about fucking materialism and shit. Like <laughs> we get to talk about other shit. Little I appreciate shit. that. For sure. Well, uh, you want to plug your social media and also like your website and any articles Patreon. that you've Patreon, you know, your Venmo, your Cash App, you know, you getting paid for this, but white folks pay up too. All that, uh, yeah. So my Twitter is at underscore I am Royal, so the letter I am R O Y A L, and then um, Facebook, Instagram, all of that is the Godly Sean D A G O D L Y S H A U N. Um, and then my website is DeshaunHarrison.com. Um, my Venmo is Deshaun-Harrison. My Cash App is Deshaun L. Harrison. And so is my um, PayPal. And yeah, I think that's it. For sure. Thank you so much. So for those of you tuned in to Hella Black, you feel me? Make sure you like us on SoundCloud. Subscribe on Patreon.com slash Pod. Subscribe on the podcast app. And if you've been listening to Hell Black, you know we got extended episodes on every single episode we have, damn near, you feel me? And if you want to fuck with this next part of the episode, tap in with our Patreon, patreon.com slash hellblackpod. This is our fourth episode in June, I believe. 
So we've really been rocking, putting out a lot of content. So make sure you tap in with our Patreon, patreon.com slash hellblackpie to tap into this next part of this episode.